Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode number 200 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And this week, we'll continue to look ahead to the 2021 college football season and the 2022 NFL Draft. We started the Power Five conferences last week with the Big Ten, and on our next two shows, we'll cover the prospects to watch from the Atlantic Coast Conference, most commonly known as the ACC. Tony, how should we celebrate episode 200? I don't know. Maybe give us some gold medals. They seem to be giving out a lot of gold medals in uh, Tokyo. I've got the Olympics on behind me. It's been somewhat enjoyable. We taped this on a Wednesday night, as some people know. And tonight was the second day of the decathlon, my old event. I've enjoyed watching it the past couple of days. Looks like the guy from Canada, Warner, may uh, come away with the gold medal in the decathlon. Now, Tony, were you ever a candidate for the, the gold medal in the Olympic decathlon? No. No, I, I wanted to uh, make the Olympic trials, but I fell far short. So no. it was always a goal since I was a kid. And I trained hard and they gave gold medals out for effort. Uh, I probably would have won one. But as far as my scores are concerned, they pale compared to uh, what I'm watching these guys the past couple of days. Tony Pauline, king of the participation trophy. And we will get to this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today. Whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. NFL training camps are officially open, which means it is time to get those aforementioned futures bets in. Do you like Chiefs plus 500 to win the Super Bowl, Bucks plus 600, or is there a sleeper team out there with a way higher payout? Well, I, I, I don't know that any of our New York teams are sleeper teams, but Buffalo may be a sleeper team. I don't know what their uh, odds are. And, uh, you know, maybe put a few dollars on, down on them because I think they'll be going to be improved. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to betonline.ag and start playing today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, taking a macro look at the ACC, 42 players drafted in April's draft. 23 of those players played for teams that we are going to cover on today's episode. And that includes four first round picks Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne from Clemson, and Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau from Miami. Six second day picks as well. And Really similar overall numbers to the Big Ten last week, just not quite as dominated by only two teams. Tony, what is your outlook for the conference heading into next year's draft? Well, once again, Clemson rules the roost. We'll have, we will talk about whether or not they will have a first-round pick. I think Miami has fallen off. We'll talk about that. And I think once again, as we will talk about in today's podcast, the first player drafted from the ACC will be a quarterback though he's not going to be as highly rated as Trevor Lawrence from just a few months ago. Now taking a look at our first team in the conference, and that is the Boston College Eagles. 
two draft picks in April, first being tight end Hunter Long to Miami in round three, and then linebacker Isaiah McDuffie to Green Bay in round six. And actually replacing Long at tight end for the upcoming season is Jacksonville State transfer Trey Barry, played both the fall and the spring season in 2024 Jacksonville State after he lost the back half of his 2019 campaign to a knee injury at 33 catches for 534 yards and one touchdown in 10 games last year, spanning across both those seasons. Great height on Barry. And now he moves to a team that does like to throw to the tight end. I mean, Boston College has had two drafted the past three years, Hunter Long and then Tommy Sweeney as well. Back in 2019, quarterback Phil Jerkovich is a guy who likes throwing to his tight ends. So expect him and Barry to have a nice connection. And Jerkovich himself, former Notre Dame recruit, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions last year. Great size and arm strength, but 61% completion rate. Kind of reflects his on-field accuracy as well. And as a result, currently ranks as an early day three prospect, as does left tackle Zion Johnson, guy who returned to school to take advantage of the NCAA, allowing an extra year of eligibility for seniors due to COVID to develop a tackle for one more season after he moved from guard after the 2019 campaign. So this will be Johnson's second year anchoring the blind side at BC. Tony, do you think the extra year gives Johnson a shot at being a top 100 pick a tackle? No, I don't think he's going to be a tackle, maybe a top 100 pick. Now, what I was told about Johnson was the Boston College coaches coached him back by telling him another year at Boston College could turn him into a first round left tackle. I don't agree with that at all. I think uh, at six foot two and a half, 313 pounds, he's best as a guard. I think he's his own blocking guard. I think he's very unpolished in his game. Really, his best game to date that I've watched, and I watched a lot of Boston College the past two years, was the 2019 uh, contest against Notre Dame. He's shown a lot of inconsistency on the field. He's got a great amount of upside, but I grade him as a fourth rounder, as do most scouts I've spoken with. There's no scout I've talked to that grades Zion Johnson as a uh, day two pick. I think a lot of people were very surprised that he decided to come back for that second senior season. Uh, you mentioned Trey Barry, a favorite of mine. I have him rated much higher uh, than scouts. I have him as a fifth rounder, a tall, thin, pass-catching tight end who doesn't do a bad job blocking. If you can, go back and watch the game against Florida State last fall, a game that uh, when he was on Jacksonville State, uh, that team basically took uh, Florida State into the third quarter. He's a terrific pass catcher. I first noticed him in 2018 that he missed most of 2019 with a knee injury. Rebounded well last year. I think it was a masterful move for him to uh, make the uh, grad transfer out to Boston College, as you pointed out. Uh, they've, they've developed a lot of good tight ends at that school, a lot of good next-level tight ends, both early rounders and late rounders. Jerkovic, I, you know, I agree with what you said. You know, you mentioned the uh, touchdown to interception ratio. It's not that great. He's a big arm fireball thrower. I know that some people grade him as a top 60 pick. Right now, I'm looking at him as a late fourth round type of uh, prospect, a guy who's got a big arm, but really has to improve his ball security, has to improve his pass uh, placement, his accuracy. Makes the receivers work uh, too hard to come away with the uh, catch. Tyler Vrabel, the tackle, is a guy to keep an eye on. Alec Lindstrom, whose brother was selected in the first round just a few years ago. Grades anywhere from the fifth round uh, to maybe a late fourth rounder. I have him as a mid-sixth rounder. And keep an eye on another grad transfer, Isaiah Graham Mobley. He comes to Boston College from Temple. He was a guy who early in his career showed a lot of ability. He's very athletic, but he's kind of flatlined the past two years. And, you know, as we mentioned during our 
AAC uh, preview. That Temple uh, program seems to be on the slide. So I think Graham Mobley is another guy who made a, a real good decision transferring to Boston College. If he plays up to his potential, uh, Graham Mobley is a guy who could go midday three uh, based on prior film. Now, Clemson, five selections this past year for the Tigers, headlined by the aforementioned Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Also, Jackson Carmen and receiver Omari Rogers were second-day picks, and fellow receiver Cornell Powell went to the Chiefs late in round five. And there was another wide receiver atop the Clemson board for 2022. That is Justin Ross, who missed the 2020 season after having neck surgery, but he had 66 catches for 865 yards and eight touchdowns as a sophomore in 2019, following up a 46-catch, 1,000-yard, nine-touchdown campaign as a freshman. He's a tall receiver, but slightly thin frame. Really talented overall natural receiver, though, who does have first-round potential if he returns to the field healthy and productive. Jordan McFadden moves from right tackle to left tackle to replace Jackson Carmen. a bit similar to Carmen in that he may not be a tackle long-term, but does have a similar draft grade to where Carmen went at number 46 overall. And Darion Kendrick's transfer to Georgia means junior Andrew Booth is now the top prospect in the Clemson secondary. Good size and athleticism. You've probably seen his one-handed interception from last season against Virginia. Check it out if you haven't, but definitely has impact ball skills as well. Sounds like a potential starting NFL corner to me. How about you, Tony? I think he may be a little bit too short to be a starting corner. I do like him as a nickelback, though. I have him graded right now as a third rounder. I'm expecting big things from him. Uh, I think he projects well. He's an explosive guy with a great burst of closing speed. Uh, I like his game. It's just a matter of now he goes into the starting role. We'll see how he does. Sometimes uh, corners don't react to that well. Booth was pretty feisty last year, and he produced when he was on the field. Let's start off with Justin Ross. Not the greatest athlete in the world. I, I mean, he's got decent size. He's got decent speed, but a spectacular receiver. There's no doubt about it. You remember you go back to uh, 2019, uh, not only on the field, but when Clemson was making their way to the national championship game, even early on in his career, you could tell that Justin Ross was going to be a star receiver and a top next level prospect. What's the situation with the neck? We don't know. There were rumblings that Ross was going to enter the draft last year. You know, even if he has a healthy season, remember, Combine medicals, and I've said this ad nauseum on this podcast, combine medicals are a different beast. And if they find something they don't like, hopefully that won't be the situation with Ross. That could raise a red flag. So what's going to happen is with all these mock drafts, you're going to see, uh, you know, Justin Ross graded very highly, very highly, very highly. And then if all of a sudden, gosh forbid, there's some bad medical news a la Aziz Al-Jalari, you know, right before the uh, right before draft weekend, he could drop. Hopefully everything pans out for him. Agree with you on Jordan McFadden. I actually like Jordan McFadden a bit more as a player than I do Jackson Carmen, but you're right. He's a little bit short. He may not uh, be a tackle. He looked very athletic and mobile uh, at right tackle last year for Clemson. I don't think the transition to the left side will be that difficult for him. A couple of sleepers to keep an eye on. Tyler Davis, uh, the defensive tackle. Not really a playmaker, but a big, tough, slug-it-out guy in the middle who's impossible to move off the point of attack. Uh someone who just eats up space and occupies the gaps. And I know he's not draft eligible, but the two games I watched or the Clemson games I watched, the two games he started, DJ Ujaleli, the quarterback who filled in for Trevor Lawrence. And I know I'm going to butcher his name over the, over the course of the next three years. Uh, when he filled in for Trevor Lawrence last year, because Lawrence was COVID positive, he was terrific. 
I, I mean, accurate, strong arm, good pass placement, good leader, very excited about his future, although he's only a true sophomore and he won't be draft eligible for at least another year. Now moving on to the Duke Blue Devils, just one fewer selection than Clemson in 2021, four in all, but all of them on day three. And that is a trend that should continue in 2022. Leading tackler Shaka Hayward returns just a junior, even though he does have one and a half seasons as a starter under his belt at Duke, 148 tackles, 15 of them for loss and six and a half sacks so far for the Blue Devils. Very tall for a linebacker, well over six feet tall. Definitely has some room to add weight onto his frame. Certainly if he can do that and maintain his athleticism and pursuit speed, he becomes an absolute player to watch. Senior cornerback Josh Blackwell returns after a torn meniscus limited him to two games in 2020. He was very productive on the ball during his career. 13 total pass breakups. Also has some experience as a punt returner as well. And then his teammate Leonard Johnson, another senior cornerback, has better size than Blackwell. Twice as many career starts as well, so he definitely has more experience. But he just hasn't been as productive breaking up passes. Tony, why do you think that is? Because he can't make plays with his back to the ball. You know, the thing with Leonard Johnson is this. Scouts grade him very highly uh, late fourth or early fifth round. Uh, he's big and he's physical, but he's not good in transition where, he try, where he's got to flip his hips, turn and run with receivers downfield. He's very slow, and he really struggles getting his head back around. I, I think the grade that they're giving Johnson is more based on size, speed, six foot tall, 190 pounds, runs in the four fives. Uh, but his ball skills need a lot of work. And the ball skills is what really impressed me with Josh Blackwell in 2019. As you said, he was limited to two games last year. But you watch the 2019 film, and he was constantly around the action, showed outstanding ball skills. I think he's more of a dime, maybe a nickelback, doesn't have the great height. He's a feisty player who knows how to make plays when the ball's in the air. I like Shaka Hayward a lot. And it'll be interesting to see where he's graded as a senior, assuming – he doesn't enter next year's draft. He's more your traditional linebacker. He's not a pass rusher. He's a guy who's good in pursuit. He's someone who's very good in space. He covers a lot of area on the field. Real good in coverage. I mean, it gets down uh, into the secondary to make plays if necessary. He's got a decent upside. And as you would expect uh, from any player coming out of Duke, plays smart football. Now, Florida State, also four selections in April which is actually more than the Seminoles' three combined picks from 2019 and 2020. Unfortunately, 2022 is looking more like those prior two seasons, albeit those two seasons had a top 60 pick in them. Really just two draftable prospects at Florida State right now, and both of them have day three grades. Pass rusher Jermaine Johnson made just four starts in two seasons at Georgia before transferring, still managed seven and a half sacks, and now he gets a full-time role, so maybe he can show off his explosiveness a bit and move up draft boards. Linebacker Amari Gaynor, a two-year starter who's entering his junior year, led the team in tackles with 65 in nine games last season. It's a bit light, but he does have room to grow into his frame, and he's a player who makes plays in both pursuit and also behind the line of scrimmage with 12 career tackles for loss. The real intrigue, though, here for many could be a couple of UCF transfers. Cornerback Brandon Moore, if you go back and listen to our shows before the 2019 season, Moore was highly rated. Then he tore his ACL and dislocated his knee in the season opener. Hasn't played since, but if he can come all the way back, he's a long shot to be the first Seminole drafted. And new quarterback Mackenzie Milton, similar story to his former teammate and current teammate. Missed two seasons with a knee injury. If you remember seeing it, 
you do know why he missed both of those seasons. But in 23 games in 2017 and 2018, at 62 touchdown passes and 15 interceptions, he's not quite the level of prospect that those numbers might imply. But there is a non-zero chance that he becomes draftable too if he can come back strong. Who intrigues you most, Tony, among the Seminoles prospects? Yeah, they all do. I, I mean, I like Amari Gaynor. He's more of a safety size, run and chase type of linebacker. Robert Cooper's a guy who I have graded the defensive tackle just outside of draftable, but he's a big guy, 6'2", 330 pounds, who occupies the, uh, the gaps. The irony is, as bad as Florida State has been, especially last year, they attracted a lot of graduate transfers who scouts are interested in. You mentioned Jermaine Johnson. I have him graded as a fifth rounder. There are some scouts who think he is a top 60 pick based on his size and his speed. He's really got to start to put the pedal to the metal and produce on the field, but he's got all the ability to be a real top flight pass rusher. Uh, Brandon Moore, uh, Brandon Moore was a guy who up in 2018 film before that nasty injury, I graded as a third round pick. That's the type of ball skills he showed. Six foot tall, 185 pounds. He was a shutdown guy. Obviously, he is a uh, medical risk now. You mentioned McKenzie Milton. I was not as high on him as a lot of other people, but people recently, you know, in recent times seems to be sort of uh, transfixed, if you will, on those RPO type of quarterbacks. And that's what Milton was. Didn't have the strongest arm, but was a, a shifty guy, very elusive, who took chances, made a lot of plays with his head, a great uh, college quarterback who I was concerned even before the injury, how he uh, translates to the next level. It, it's going to be a wait and see uh, type of situation. They also got two other uh, graduate transfers. Andrew Parchment, who comes from Kansas, who was graded as a potential late-round pick entering the 2020 season. And Keir Thomas, a defensive tackle uh, from South Carolina, who's shown flashes of ability, more of a three-technique type. Don't think he gets drafted, but, you know, keep an eye on him. No, Georgia Tech, two draft picks this past year, both of them coming outside the top 200. And that might be a case again, in 2020, albeit possibly with fewer prospects. Cornerback Trey Swilling is a player we were high on two years ago after a productive freshman season, but he hasn't really upped that production or his on-field play since. Does have good NFL bloodlines, though, as the son of former Pro Bowl linebacker Pat Swilling. We'll see if he can excel as a senior on the field. And like Florida State, the Yellow Jackets do have a couple grad transfers of interest. Left tackle Devin Cochran, will replace Zach Quinney on the left-hand side. Quinney was a prospect himself before leaving Georgia Tech for a job offer. Now, Cochran opted out of the 2020 campaign after he transferred over from Vanderbilt, but he was an interesting prospect for the Commodores. We'll see if he can keep his career on track here at Georgia Tech. And then former Old Dominion pass rusher Keon White didn't play in 2020 as well, but he didn't play because his team didn't play. Monarchs canceled their season due to COVID-19 but he did have 19 tackles for loss and three and a half sacks in 2019. First year on defense after starting his ODU career at tight end. Tony, break down the Yellow Jackets for us. Yeah, there are some scouts that really like Keon White. They grade him as a middle-round pick. I have him as a uh, undrafted free agent, a priority free agent as of right now. Six, three and a half, 282 pounds, uh, runs in the four eights. He's good. He's not, he's not an exceptional pass rusher. He's solid. Obviously, you go from Old Dominion to Georgia Tech, it's going to be a step up in competition. So maybe he lives up to the expectations that scouts have of him of being a uh, early day three pick. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of Devin. I, I should say I was a big fan of Devin Cochran when he was at Vanderbilt. Uh, 
as you said, opted out last year, returns the season. Guy who goes 6'7", 328 pounds, relatively mobile for uh, a bigger offensive lineman. I'm going to be watching him. Trey Swilling is a bit of an enigma. Trey Swilling, the son of former Georgia Tech great and productive NFL player Pat Swilling. Trey Swilling, as a freshman, looked like he was going to be as good as, as his dad at the cornerback position. And then his game has really leveled off. I, I really haven't seen any improvement in his game. He's got decent size. He's got adequate speed, not great speed. He's a physical guy, but whether it's opposing quarterbacks don't throw in his direction or it, it, it's the fact that he just doesn't seem a much play to his side when the ball's in the air, I haven't seen a lot of development in, in his game. I grade him as a six-rounder. There are some scouts I spoke to who have him as a fourth-rounder. Others believe he's a street-free agent. He's got great upside. If he meets that upside, you know he's going to fall into the draft because he is a bigger, taller cornerback. And moving on to Louisville, a pair of receivers drafted from the Cardinals on day two in 2021. Tutu Atwell in round two to the Rams and Des Fitzpatrick in round three to the Titans. Should have more picks next year, even if none go quite as high. We're looking at the defensive side of the ball here and starting with senior safety Kendrick Duncan, who we talked about in our Sunbelt preview last year, transferred to Louisville from Georgia Southern, where he was a two-year starter. He's got linebacker size and that kind of ability against the run, but he's also shown ball skills, at least two interceptions in all three of his seasons at GSU, including in just six games last year, fellow secondary mate junior cornerback Keetrell Clark. It's probably the Cardinals' second best hope at a day two pick. Played well enough as a freshman at Liberty to transfer into the ACC, where he broke up 10 passes and intercepted one. Decent height, but on the light side, even for the cornerback position, there's actually some uncertainty as to how much he actually weighs. So, Tony, do you have any intel on Clark's actual weight, and how do you feel about him and his Louisville teammates? Not at this point in time, because he's only going to be a third-year junior, so he's a, he was a, a true sophomore last year. But I know this. The more Louisville film I watched, the more this guy was around the ball, making plays, whether it be against the run, whether it be uh, screen passes, whether it be against the pass. I mean, he can flip his hips. He can run downfield with opponents. He can get his head back around, and he's, he's got good ball skills now, and he's got a good amount of upside. As far as Kenderick Duncan's concerned, that's been a favorite of mine the past two years when he was at Georgia Southern. He's got linebacker speed, safety size, and cornerback-type ball skills. He also has outstanding instincts. Uh, he, he's a tough-run defender who makes a lot of plays when the ball's in the air, works well with cornerbacks, doesn't have mental lapses, was a struggle with injury last year. When he was on the field, he played okay. You go back and you watch the 2019 film. I mean, he was knockout. I have him as a third rounder. Scouts that I've spoken with about anywhere from a, a uh, fourth to a sixth rounder. Speed is going to be the issue with Duncan and will determine where he's drafted. I mean, is he going to be pigeonholed as a traditional scheme-limited strong safety? Does he have a good 40 time? Does he have good shuttle times where – Team think he can play free safety. Can you use him over the slot receiver? He can play well over the slot receiver in college. Don't know how it's going to translate all that well in the NFL. Adonis Boone, the tackle, I think is probably going to be the next big-time offensive lineman out of Louisville. Needs some work on his game, but he's got some outstanding uh, size uh, and upside potential. And Quinterio Cole, another defensive back, transfer from Alcorn State. I liked him last year. I had him graded as draftable going into the season last year. I don't think Alcorn State played a game last year, 
one of our maybe our listeners can uh, correct me on that. But he's got decent size and he's a solid player. I have him right now graded as a six rounder. Uh, expecting big things from Cole at Louisville this year. Now our final team on today's show is the Miami Hurricanes, who did have a pair of pass rushers selected in April in Jalen Phillips and Gregory Rousseau. Also had linemate Quincy Roach go in round six and tight end Brevin Jordan in round five. And Miami has had at least four players drafted each of the past five years, but just four the past two years. More than that have draftable grades for 2022. So probably going to see more guys drafted out of Miami, but the Hurricanes are unlikely to sniff the first round. Maybe won't even sniff day two. Safety Bubba Bolden, who we broke down a couple times during the 2020 season, was the team's leading tackler with 74 in 11 games last year. He's really a menace around the line of scrimmage. Once he's beat, he's not catching up. And that lack of speed is a big reason why he does get a lot of day three grades. Wide receivers Charleston Rambo and D. Wiggins and tight end Will Mallory are all interesting pass catchers for senior quarterback Derek King to throw to. King himself, an interesting dual threat quarterback. But back to Mallory, who managed over 15 yards per catch working behind Brevin Jordan, should get an expanded opportunity this year to boost his draft stock. Rambo transfers in from Oklahoma after a disappointing 2020 season with Spencer Rattler at quarterback. He did have 43 catches for 743 yards and five touchdowns in 2019, though, with Jalen Hurts under center. Wiggins is a guy he's never really produced, but I know Tony is definitely a fan of Wiggins' talent. And lastly, there's a guy that scouts really like in left tackle, Zion Nelson. They grade him as a second rounder, has the size and athletic ability to stick on the blind side. But Tony, I know you have some concerns with Nelson's game. Yeah, primarily, I, I thought he kind of fell off a cliff last year. When I watched him in 2019, I was like, wow. Here you got Zion Nelson, the next great offensive lineman to come from the Miami program, the next great offensive tackle. And, and last year on film, I saw a guy who was not aggressive, but passive at times, was falling over his feet. He's got a tremendous amount of upside. He's got to get back to where he was in 2019 and really take his game to the next level. I saw a fraction of the player in 2020 as I had the prior year. You know, it's funny when you break down the uh, Miami prospects. Miami did well in 2020, much better than I think most people expected. Go back to the 2019 season. They lost to Florida International uh, during the season. Then they got shut out by Louisiana Tech in the bowl game. Everybody's saying, what the hell's going on? They came back and they played uh, real well as a team last year. I think that North Carolina game when they got blown out was one of the few head scratchers. But it's ironic because the Hurricanes, you go back to the 90s, and this was a team that was putting – five, sometimes six players in the first round. And really, you go back to the Jimmy Johnson era, great athletes, great athletes, great athletes. When I look at the board now, I see a lot of good football players that are okay athletes. You know, you start with Bubba Bolden. There are some scouts I've spoken with who grade him as a uh, third rounder. I have him as a fourth rounder. I like him as a player. He's smart and he's tough. But he's six two and a half, two 205 pounds, and he times and plays – in the high four fives. What are you going to do with a guy like that? Is he a zone safety? Is he a strong safety? I'm not saying he's not going to play at the next level. I'm just saying he's not going to be a high draft pick. Will Mallory's sort of the same situation. 6'5", 250 pounds, can barely break 4'8". Real good pass catcher. Gives good effort as a blocker, but just lacks the size and speed. Gervin Hall, the same thing. Zach McLeod, a linebacker who I like, who comes back for another senior season. You know, 6'2 and a half, 245 pounds. Struggles to break 4'8". 
Al Blade, DJ Ivy. I mean, even D Wiggins. Uh, D Wiggins is probably one of the better athletes, but he hasn't really produced on the football field on a consistent basis. So, you know, it's kind of ironic with Miami team that, you know, ruled the NFL draft in the, in the nineties, uh, had great athletes this year. Anyway, compared to a year ago with Jamie and Phillips, who was on the field, who was a great athlete and a good football player. You're looking at guys that I, I don't think are going to wow anybody at combine or pro day workouts. Get to Bradley Jennings, fourth year junior linebacker, who's moved in and out of the lineup last year. Looks fluid, looks smooth, covers a lot of area. Don't have any true size speed numbers on him now, but he looks like he's got a good amount of upside. But as you said, Chris, where we stand right now with the Miami Hurricanes, it's primarily, if not all, day three picks for the 2022 NFL draft. And that's it for the 200th episode of the Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll finish off the back half of the ACC next week as we power through the month of August here. But until then, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.